uh, that we are to store up treasures in heaven. So uh, the, the uh, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount is progressive. He, he kind of tells you how we ought to live, and then he tells you the principles of how to live, and then he tells you the priorities in terms of how we are to be living. And then in Matthew chapter 7, um, he starts talking about um, judgment. The question is, are we meant to judge other people? Judge or judge not. The Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 1 of chapter 7, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Uh, we just pray that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, we thank you again for this time together tonight and for this opportunity to come around your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this evening and that you would help us in this matter. How quick we are, Lord, to look at somebody and to form an opinion immediately of them. Uh, we use an old secular phrase that we should not judge a book by its cover. And Lord, we have no idea what somebody has gone through or what they're facing at that particular moment, Lord. So we just pray that you would help us. We pray that you'd help us to understand the difference between being judgmental and being discerning. And Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts tonight that we might be able to discern uh, those that cause discord among the brethren, that we might be able to discern uh, those sinful habits that could cause an issue in our lives and that we wouldn't be hypocritical like the Pharisees and have a judgmental attitude towards others. So, Lord, we just ask that you'd speak to our hearts this evening, for we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you are quick to judge other people? Maybe you were here tonight and you I've never done that in my life. So you are telling me that you've never walked through Cardiff and seen a homeless person and thought straight away, you're there because it's your own fault, or something you've done has caused that, or alcohol has caused that to you, or drugs has caused that to you. I'm not going to part with money because you're just going to go and buy another fit. And we have no idea what somebody has been through to put them in that position. There are people on the streets who are not there because of a drug addiction or because of uh, an alcohol problem. There are people on the streets who are there who have got PhDs. There are people on the streets who are there even though they've served uh, in our armed, our armed forces. There are people on the streets through no fault of their own. But we are quick to form an immediate judgment. You were there and it's your fault. And it might not be. I'm not saying that it's not. It could, could very well be. But the thing is, we are very quick to form an opinion about somebody. We are quick to judge others even after only seeing them for a split second. There was um, a TV advert in America during the time of the Super Bowl. Uh, the Super Bowl is um, when two American football teams finally make it to the, the final and the Super Bowl is the biggest watched event in TV history. So people pay millions and millions and millions to advertise during the Super Bowl. 
And there was an American TV advert during uh, the Super Bowl where a man was preparing a very romantic dinner. He chops vegetables with a large knife while the tomato sauce simmers on the stove. His white cat then knocks the pan of sauce onto the floor and falls into this tomato mess. Just as the man picks up his tomato-splattered cat, his wife gets home, opens the door, sees him holding this cat dripping with red sauce in one hand and a large knife in the other hand. The scene appears to be unmistakably terrifying as she assumes the worst. This advert just goes to show that things aren't always as they first appear. Uh, for this reason, we ought to be careful when it comes to unjustly judging other people. Because we can make fools out of ourselves. We have no idea. You know, sometimes, when, and I've, I've had to check myself on times when we've come into church and said, oh, come on, you should have the joy of the Lord, and you shouldn't come into church with a frown. Turn that frown upside down. Oh. You've got no idea what it's taken for somebody to come into the church that particular day. No idea what issue they're dealing with. No idea what demons they're battling with. No idea what sins they've just struggled with. No idea with what's going on in their life. But we can be so quick to judge other people. The Lord gives a command. Judge not, that ye be not judged. And can I say this, that few portions in the scripture are so misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misapplied as this section of scripture. Arthur Pink says, there are few verses quoted more frequently than the opening ones of Matthew 7, and few verses less understood by those who are so ready to cite it and hurl it at the heads of those who they ignorantly or maliciously suppose are violating it. Judge not that ye be not judged, has been taken by some to mean that good Christians should never exercise any critical or discerning judgment at all. Some believe that the model Christians should be totally, totally accepting whatever the situation is. Christ-likeness is equated with an absence of any criticism whatsoever, of any critical analysis whatsoever. We are to be all accepting, blind to whatever people are doing. Is that what this verse is saying? No, not at all. Many people use this passage of scripture to attack preachers who preach against certain sins. You shouldn't be so judgmental. How many times have you heard that? If you disagree with somebody, you are judgmental. The Bible says you're not to judge. But that's not what this verse is saying. But it says, judge not. Yes, it does. It's ironic that the world loves opinionated people who know what they believe, unless they're Christians. Because then there's a difference. You can know what you believe, whether, it's, whether you're dogmatic about politics, art, music, literature, culture, you name it, whatever it is. But when it comes to a personal conviction of morality, of Christianity, then the world stands against you. Christians that take a stand against wickedness are just simply labeled as being judgmental. 
when you think about that, those who are actually accusing the Christians of being judgmental are, in turn, being judgmental. So are we to judge or not to judge? If this verse means we are not to judge at all, then the Lord Jesus Christ himself is contradicting Scripture. And we know that that's not possible because he's not the author of confusion. Uh, he's not a liar. So he's not going to say one thing and then contradict himself by saying something completely different. A few verses down, we didn't read it tonight, but in verse 6, um, you know, if we say that these verses mean that we are not to judge at all, um, a few verses away from this text, judging is needed for the fulfillment of this next command. Give not that which is holy under the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again to render. We cannot obey Jesus' command here unless we are to judge who are dogs and we judge who are pigs. In verses 16 through to 20, the Lord says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. The Lord Jesus Christ, before he said that, said, Beware of false prophets. How are we to beware of false prophets? By judging. Is what somebody's saying true? Does it stack up with Scripture? Does it line up with what the Word of God says? You know, that's our plumb line. That is our spirit level. That's where we come to when we want to know the world is saying one thing, but is that right? What does the Word of God say? Line it up with the Word of God. If it doesn't contradict the Word of God, then what they're saying is spot on. But in order for us to beware of false prophets, we are to judge who speaks for God and who doesn't speak for God. And that requires subtle discerning judgment on our part. Paul said in Romans 16 and verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they are such, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. If we are not to judge with discernment, it would make it impossible to condemn error, to recognize wickedness, to condemn those who preach a false doctrine. So what is the Lord commanding us to do here when he says, judge not? In Matthew 7, Christ tells us to do some things that require judging. So the word judge can be used in a good way, and it can also be used in a bad way. And when you look at the Greek meaning for the words judging, examining, testing, or proving, especially uh, the context of the passage, that gives us clarity then on what the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to tell us here in Matthew 7. The word judge here is from a Greek word, a crano 
uh, which means basically to separate, to choose, to select, to determine. In this verse, Christ is talking about self-righteousness, egotistical judgment, and unmerciful condemnation of others that was practiced by the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, he's comparing quite a few times through this. Don't do what the Pharisees do. Don't be hypocritical like them. You know, they were quite quick to judge the actions of others. How many times do we see uh, them doing exactly the same thing to the Lord Jesus Christ? We shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath. But what did the word of God say? And the Lord Jesus Christ used the word of God then against them. You know, when the disciples were grabbing ears of corn and rubbing them in their hands to eat, then the Pharisees said, Ah, you're breaking the Sabbath. You're working. You are harvesting. You are farming. And the Lord said, You've not read the Old Testament, boys. When David went into the tabernacle and his men were hungry and they ate the showbread. So the Lord actually took the Pharisees then back to Scripture. The Pharisees were very quick to judge and condemn for their own ends, for their own goals. Their primary concern wasn't to help others. You know, that, that always tickles me when somebody says, oh, we need to pray about something. Well, do you want to pray about something or do you want to gossip about something? Oh, have you heard? We need to pray about something. No, you, you just need to kind of talk about what you've heard. The Pharisees weren't judging in regards to try and help somebody further along in their walk with God, in their relationship with God. They were judging to make themselves look better and the ones that they were judging to look as small as possible. They weren't doing that to help. They were just doing it to condemn for their own uh, benefit. So what does it mean to judge somebody else? What is judging and what is spiritual discernment? How do we know if we're being guilty of judging somebody or whether we are being spiritually discerning? First of all, a a person who is spiritually discerning uh, will thoroughly examine his own life first. Is there anything that I'm doing that's not right? Is there anything that I'm doing that... I ought not to be doing. Before he evaluates the actions of others or confronts others about their sin, he will first look at his own life and make sure that he's right with the Lord. The discerning individual who reproves or rebukes another believer understands that he or she also has limitations. The Pharisees were judging because they were like, oh, we wouldn't do that. Look at them breaking the Sabbath. But... The person who is spiritually discerning recognizes the fact that I could very well be in that position myself. You know, be careful when you see somebody who has fallen, who's backslidden. Be careful when you turn and say, oh, I can't believe that. And you remember when they used to come to church and they don't come anymore? Because that could very well be you. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are spiritual giants. None of us are beyond a slip in our walk with the Lord. 
but the judging person just likes to condemn because it makes them feel better. Whereas a discerning person will look at themselves first and will only try then and point out somebody's flaws or sins in order to help them not to condemn them. The person who reproves or confronts others also has the intention of restoring, not destroying. 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Paul says, Examine yourself. Paul says, Make sure you are right first. It's very easy to see sin in other people. It's very easy to point out the flaws in everybody else. Because we don't want to confront our sinful lifestyle. It's easier to point out somebody else's. Do you ever notice how easy it is to give people advice rather than take it yourself? Oh, we, we are experts with everything when we're telling somebody else what to do. But when it comes to applying that to ourselves, that's a different story. But Paul says we have to examine ourselves, deal with our problem first, deal with what's obstructing our view first before we try and fix everybody else's problems. I've been the pastor of this church now for almost 17 years. I think mum and dad have attended the church probably for about 16 years. And every Sunday, without fail, for 16 years, my father's adjusted my tie. Without fail. Every single Sunday, I, 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 at home, I'm like, right, is that right now? Is that, that look good? Okay, fantastic. That's all ready for church. I come into church. The first thing my father does feel like being back in school again but it's easy to see the flaws in somebody else I can't see the knot from here easy to see somebody else's flaws you're adjusting your tie now I should have come down there then done you shouldn't I easy to see the flaws in somebody else what the Lord is saying is you need to take care of yourself first. Don't worry about somebody else's race. If your race is all over the shop. Paul says we're to examine ourselves. That means to see whether something can be done. To try or test. To ascertain what a person thinks. Or how they will behave. We are to examine ourselves. We are to prove ourselves. That means we are to test to scrutinize, to see whether a thing is genuine, to recognize as genuine after examination. That word there deals with bringing forth that which is good in us. Satan never proves. He doesn't do something to bring forth that which is good. Satan always tempts. The word prove is 
dokimezo, which means to test. The word examine is perezo, which can also be used in a negative sense, which is what Satan does. Domikezo, which is proved, deals with bringing forth that which is good. Satan always tempts with the intent of making us fail. But let a man examine himself, dokimezo, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The verse deals with spiritual discernment. You know, when we come around the communion table, we're not to come blase and just say, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's that time of month again. It's, what it's, you know, it's Sunday uh, evening. It's the first Sunday. It's just come in now and have communion. And, oh, they'll tack it on at the end of the service. So I'll probably be a little, you know, 20 minutes late to getting home. But it doesn't matter. We, that's not how we're meant to come before the communion table. We are meant to examine ourselves. We're not meant to come in with a blase attitude. But to reflect and remember what Christ did upon the cross for our sins. Let a man examine himself. To test, examine, prove, scrutinize. To see whether something is genuine. Am I in a right position to partake of the elements? Is there something in my life that's affecting my relationship with the Lord? So I shouldn't take it. Uh, We are to examine. On the other hand, the person who judges will just condemn others for their own gain, failing to realize and recognize their own problems. One of the most prominent characteristics of this critical fault-finding judgmental person is he focuses on things that are of little importance and they treat those things as vital importance. You only need to, to fail in the smallest of ways and the judgmental person will jump all over that. A person who uses spiritual discernment Checks the truthfulness of the facts. You know, if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, have you heard? Before you start judging that person, you find out whether or not what's being said is true. You find out whether or not something's being said out of malice. And you discern whether or not that is a true fact before reaching any conclusions. You know... One of the things that I find really difficult uh, as a pastor, um, I always feel like I got to over-explain myself. So if we go on holidays, I always feel like I got to say, this is where the money came from. This is who paid for it. This is how we're able to do this. Because I know, because I've done it myself, there would probably be some people thinking, how can I afford to do that? How can they afford to go to America? I save up air miles, and I've been doing it for eight years just so I can pay for a flight to go and see Hannah. If we go away on holiday, it's because somebody has generously paid for it. But you feel like you've got to over-explain yourself to people because there'll be some who'll be like, I don't get to do that. I don't get to go to America. I don't get to go on a cruise. I don't get to do that. 
And you do, you feel like you... I was having this conversation with, uh, with R and Julie this week and just saying like, you feel like you've got to over-explain everything. Because we're quick to judge. It was a story about a woman in a grocery store. In America, they have food stamps. So people who are on benefits um, will have food stamps. Um, so that's how they go into the, the store then to pay for their groceries. And there was a woman wrote into a newspaper column who, was a, who worked on the checkout. And she was furious because she could not understand why people on food stamps would waste them on luxury food items like a birthday cake or bags of shrimp. Um, and she wrote in uh, to this um, newspaper column to express her disgust. A few weeks later, that same column was devoted entirely to people who'd responded to that store worker. And one woman wrote, I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a big bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband has been working at a plant for 15 years when it's shut down. The shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner and lasted three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk who criticized that woman would have a different view of life after walking a mile in my shoes. Another lady wrote, I'm the woman who bought the $17 birthday cake and I paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know is that that cake was for my little girl's birthday. It'll be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be dead within six to eight months. You never know what people are dealing with. You never know what people are going through. It's incredible uh, that God, even though he's omniscient, gives us many examples of the care we should take ourselves before passing judgment. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. When they were building the Tower of Babel, even though the Lord knew everything, he came down first. He did the same with Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroyed it. He said in Genesis 18.21, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. The Bible constantly forbids hasty judgment when people do not have full knowledge. Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame to him. Sometimes what appears to be wrong is nothing of the sort. But we need to make sure we've got all the facts first. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. The word prove is that word documezo again, which means to test, to examine, to discover. You know, it's almost impossible for us to be impartial in our judgment because we are always slightly skewed because of the point of view that we are coming from. It's told that sometimes when the Greeks held a particularly important and difficult trial, they held it in the dark so that the judge and jury would not even see the man on trial and would be only influenced by the facts of the case. The person who uses discernment in a matter gets all the facts 
before making his decision. So how do we know if we're improperly judging somebody? How do we know whether we are being judgmental or whether we are being discerning? A person who judges always formulates an opinion or conclusion on the first impression. Or they will base it on hearsay. And then they look for evidence to back that up. They couldn't care less about the person they judged. And they couldn't care less about helping that person. You ever known anybody like that who just loves to be the first one to have that bit of news? Loves to be the first one to have the, the inside scoop? And they just can't wait to, to tell you. you. You ever do Chinese whisper in school? You ever do that way? Uh, or if you went to Cubs or guys, I'm sure they played in, in, in those type of places. You know, you would, you would say a, a phrase to the first person here, and then they were to whisper it to the next person. And then they would whisper it to the next person and whisper it to the next person. And you can guarantee that what was said to this person, by the time it got right the way around the room to this person, is like a million miles away from the starting phrase. But the person who judges incorrectly, who takes false facts, doesn't get all the information, can cause a real problem. If you don't get the facts right, you can upset a lot of people. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, I don't know if maybe a lot of people in the church won't remember, um, there was a, a, a wonderful, wonderful man um, who used to play the organ for us called Walter Lev. Uh, he was absolutely adorable. Um, and Brother Andrew phoned me up one day and said, um, well, I've heard of somebody from another church um, that, that Walter's passed away. And I was like, oh, no. So he said, I'm not sure. He said, we're, we're going to find out. So Brother Andrew phones um, John, who was who was Walter's son, he said, "Is it true that you know that Walter's gone home to be with the Lord?" Yes, true. Oh, so I text all the church, and please pray. You know, Brother Walter's gone home to be with the Lord, and they were, we were devastated. Lynn's mum and dad, Gwilym and Betty, went up to visit the family to obviously pay their respects. So they came up to the house, and um, John. The son uh, lived in, in one house and uh, Walter had lived next door. So Gwilym and Betty came up and they saw John and they said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about Walter. And John said, oh, thank you so much. Do you want to see him? He's next door. So they were taken aback a little bit and they were like, didn't know what to say. So they're like, yes. And with that, Walter walked out of the door What had happened was John's father-in-law was called Walter. So when Andrew phoned up and said, is it true that Walter's gone home to be with the Lord? Yes, it is. I had then text everybody to tell them that Walter had gone home to be with the Lord. I then, I'm visiting my grandmother in hospital. I remember, I remember it. Like it was yesterday, I'm visiting my grandmother in hospital, and I have this text of Lin Yang. Pastor, all it said was this, Walter is alive. 
from that moment until I did his funeral, I called him Lazarus. <laughs> and he absolutely loved it. Before you judge, get all the facts. Next time, Brother Andrew, please ask for the surname as well. <laughs> You know, when somebody is judging, they don't care about the facts. They don't care about helping somebody. Information is power. And if they can make somebody look small, that will make them look like the giant. The Pharisees did that with the blind man. Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we be Moses' disciples. People revile or harshly judge others, uh, you know, when they, they kind of accuse somebody of something and they don't let them get a word in edges. They've condemned them before the person's even had a chance to plead his case. God says, get all the facts before making any decisions. John 7, 24 says, judge not according to the appearance. But judge righteous judgment. John 7, 51 says, Doth our Lord judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Get all the facts first. How do we know if we are judging or discerning? When we use his spiritual discernment, we'll deal privately with the person, not publicly. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Spiritual discernment has a concern about restoration. Judgment, all it wants to do is tear down and destroy the person you are judging in order to be able to lift up and build up the one doing the judging. Matthew 18, 17 says, If he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a, public, a publican. The judgmental goal is to expose the person that's already been judged. He doesn't go to the person privately to try and sort it out and to restore. His mission is simply to destroy and to embarrass. Do you have a discerning spirit or a judgmental spirit? Do you automatically judge a book by its cover? Do you not worry about the facts? Do you just take somebody's word for it without even speaking to the person uh, that is supposedly on trial? You have a judgmental spirit if the failures of others improves the opinion of yourself. You have a judgmental spirit if the failure of others decreases your concern for the faults and weaknesses in your own life. You have a judgmental spirit if the failure of others gives you a desire to see that they are punished. You have a judgmental spirit if you are eager to tell others about the faults of other people. You have a judgmental spirit if the failures of others prompts you to review and bring up their past mistakes. 
You have a judgmental spirit if the failures of others causes you to feel that you can never forgive them. A discerning spirit is constructive. A judgmental spirit is destructive. A discerning spirit is constructive. The person with a destructive, overcritical spirit revels in criticism for its own sake. You ever seen somebody like that? You, you talk about a glass being half full type of person. This is a person whose glass is completely empty. All they want to do is find fault in absolutely everything and absolutely everyone. When a critic discovers faults in somebody else, that's when you see the satisfaction on their face. Let me say this, that properly dealing with sin is not judging. Sin has to be dealt with or else a church becomes corrupt. That's not judging when we deal with sin. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. It doesn't say to go out and point the finger and bring up every past mistake and ridicule and tear down and belittle. The purpose is always to restore. You see somebody overtaken in a fault, then in a spirit of meekness, you speak to that person privately in order to restore them. Our authority for confronting somebody about sinfulness is the word of God. If somebody is struggling in their walk, do we judge them for the way in which they walk in and then feel better about ourselves because we're not in that position? Or do we have a desire to restore, to help? To build up, to come alongside and say, look, I'm not racing against you. But we are in this race together, not against one another. Do we want to restore or do we want revenge? Do we want the construction of a life or the destruction of a life? If we've got a judgmental spirit then we are the ones in the wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a discerning spirit. The Lord here, when he says, judge not that you be not judged, he's not talking about spiritual discernment. He's talking about somebody who simply wants to tear somebody else down to make themselves look better. That's what he's talking about. It's not wrong to judge whether something is spiritual or worldly. It's not wrong to judge, to discern whether something is bad for us in our walk with the Lord. But it is wrong to judge somebody with the goal of tearing them down to lift yourself up. If you've been judging, get that beam from your eye because it's just going to blind you for the rest of your walk with the Lord. Father, we thank you again for this time and this night and this opportunity to come around your word. And Lord, we recognize that we need spiritual discernment today in the world in which we live. But Father, we're not here to judge everyone in this building and tear one another down so that it makes us feel better about ourselves and more comfortable in our walk with you. 
Father, I pray you'd help us. Help us to deal with the beam that is in our eye. Help us to focus on our walk with, the, with you before we try and fix everybody else's walk with you. And Lord, I'm so thankful for the fact that you are able to help us when we struggle, when we stumble, when we fall. And Father, I'm thankful for those people with spiritual discernment that you put in my life that have helped me in my walk with you. Lord, there were times in my life where a judgmental attitude towards me would have caused me to go even further away from the Lord than I was. But I'm thankful for the spiritual discernment of the people that you placed in my life to help me get back on the path, to help me get back into church, to help me get back in my walk with you. So, Father, help us to be a spiritually discerning Christian and not a judgmental Pharisee. So, Father, would you just speak to our hearts tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together.
close us in a word of prayer. Thank you.